We're going to look today particularly at verses 3 through 6, but I'm going to read for us again a little to gain the context from chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 down through verse 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our minds to believe and our wills to live according to your truth which you have given us this morning. Would you apply it in a way that meets the needs you know we have? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the middle of the night, and I got a call, and the alarm had gone off at the church here. Um, And I arrived to find two police cars out front with officers talking, and the alarm still kind of blaring, and, and they told me that they had checked out all the doors, and they were locked, and they hadn't seen anything suspicious, and so I unlocked the door, and I went in and turned off the alarm, and they said it was probably just a false alarm, and they were sure that it was okay to go in to the building, and I said, that's great, but, but maybe we should just walk through and kind of check things out and make sure that it's okay to be inside. And they said, that's great. You go ahead and we'll follow you. <laughs> now, I know this is Apex, and I, but I still thought, wait a minute. <laughs> you're the one that said it's sure, it's, you're sure it's okay to go inside, and you're the one with the bulletproof vest and the pistol. I'd rather you go first and I'll follow you. <laughs> there are some things we may think that we're sure about, but it behooves us to make sure that we're sure. When the doctor says he's sure that you have cancer, you don't just take his word for it. You want to be sure he's sure. And so you you have tests run and the results verified. Boys and girls, when when you tell your teacher that you're going to do well in this class and you're going to to pass it, they may admire your confidence, but they're still going to make you take the tests and, and, and prove it. If you show up for an interview and you, and you say to the person, I'm sure that I'm qualified for this position, they may believe you, but you're still going to have to show them a degree or a certification or some relevant experience that verifies that you are genuinely qualified. Usually if we want to, to verify that something is true, to be certain that something is as we think it is, to be really sure that we know something, then we'll, we'll put it to some kind of test. We'll, we'll have some kind of way to confirm that. And one thing it behooves us to be sure about 
is our standing before and our relationship with the God of the universe. To know that you truly know him. To have assurance of eternal life in him. And as we've seen, John writes this, this first letter to, to believers in the early church that they may know, that they may have an assurance that they are in fellowship with God and that they have eternal life in Him. And he does that because their, their spiritual health, their security was being threatened by false teachers who were making a number of, of spurious and, and deceptive claims that were causing confusion, it was casting doubt, it was uh, creating a false sense of you, if you will, of assurance that was rooted in, not rooted in the foundational truths and realities of what Christ had revealed and the, the good news found in him. They were claiming to know and to have fellowship with God while at the same time denying essential, essential truths about Jesus and who he was and promoting and practicing a lifestyle that ran counter to what God had revealed in his word and what Jesus had come and said and did. And so John writes this letter to his, his beloved children in the faith to expose the, the darkness and the deception of, of these lies to the light of God's grace and truth, but also to strengthen their confidence and, and the assurance of his readers in their faith and their fellowship with God and with one another in Christ Jesus. And he wants us to know that we know God and have eternal life in his name. So, he reminds us first, not of what we know, but who we know. Namely, Jesus Christ, the word of life, who is the son of God, come in the flesh. And, and as we saw in previous weeks, God, you know, John wants to be sure we understand, God has not veiled himself in some kind of shroud of secrecy, but he has made himself known through his son Jesus whom John himself and the other apostles had seen and heard and touched. And it's, it's through him, he says, that we have fellowship with God and with one another. In him, the light of God's glory is revealed. And through his blood shed on the cross for us, our sins are forgiven. And God's wrath is removed. And we are, we are enabled, enabled to resist sin and to walk in the light of his grace and truth. And so the first test that John gives to be sure we have fellowship with God is, is to know and believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, who came down and, and walked this earth. He is our advocate, John says, with the Father. He is the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And so that first test of true faith and fellowship is, is belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of, uh, the Son of God. And that's what Jesus himself said. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so Christianity at its core is knowing God through knowing Jesus who was sent to reveal God to us. And such knowledge will not only uh, will, will change not just what we believe, but how we live. It will not just inform our minds John reminds us, but it will transform our lives. And so John moves on to what we might call a second test of true faith. And that is, that is what some commentators have called the moral test or the, the test of how we live. He says, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. John switches terms here, and he'll do that as we go throughout the letter in different ways to talk about our relationship with God, with God. But he says here, he switches terms from fellowship with Jesus to knowing Jesus. 
And in reality, the two are one and the same. You can't have a, an intimate, personal, engaging relationship, which is, which is what fellowship is, with someone unless you know that person personally. And John here is speaking not just of, of intellectual knowledge of facts or reason, which is what some of the false teachers were, were uh, boasting, but of an experiential knowledge of relationship. I can know a lot of information about a person. If you're a football fan, you've been watching football at all, you probably know a lot in these recent days about Tom Brady because they're touting all the things he's done and telling us a lot about his uh, background and so forth. Um, And we can know a lot about Tom Brady, but I can't say that I know him personally. I can be his biggest fan, but have no claim on any relational status with him. On the other hand, a child may not know very much about the details and the background of their parents' lives. I was talking with someone who's not really a child anymore. They're a young adult, and I asked them what their dad did, and they couldn't tell me. (laughs) They didn't know a lot of the, the details about them, but... Still, there was a a, a deep relationship, an abiding, loving relationship with them in that. And that's the kind of knowledge that John in the Bible is talking about when it speaks of knowing God. And John says one way you know that this relationship is real, one way you know that it it is genuine, is if you keep his commands. Now, that's not a difficult verse to interpret. John doesn't beat around the bush or try to nuance this in any way. He says very clearly, if we truly know and our lives are truly transformed by Jesus, the word of life, then our life will be characterized by obedience to, in, in keeping with his word and his commands. We will, as he said earlier, walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, I think for most of us, when we hear this, and for some, the first thing that pops into our minds is, this sounds a lot like legalism. This sounds a lot like works righteousness. This smells of a a works theology here, and we know that our relationship with God is, is all of grace and grace alone. We are saved by grace alone, and indeed, that is true. But remember, one of the false teachings being confronted here by John is the idea that because we are saved by grace and not of anything that we ourselves do, then it doesn't really matter how you live your life. God loves you. Jesus forgives you. Go ahead and live however you please. Brothers and sisters, God does love you and Jesus does forgive you. And truly knowing and experiencing that will be evidence not in living however we please, but in living to please the one we know and love. And notice that this obedience of which John speaks is is the product, not the, the producer of our knowledge and our fellowship with God. I think that's where we get mixed up sometimes. John is careful not to say we know him if we obey him. Rather, he says, we we know that we have come to know him, past tense, if we keep his commands, present tense, with with ongoing um, implications. 
The certainty and the assurance that we have real knowledge, real fellowship, real life in Christ is proven. It is exhibited. It is evidenced, John says, by a life lived in keeping with his word and his commands, his desire and his design for us. Obedience to Christ is the fruit, not the root of our relationship with God. As Paul reminds us uh, in um, Ephesians, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. And if you miss this truth, you miss the gospel. And that's important because we can, we can make radical changes in our lifestyle. You can seek to live according to God's word. You can be a really good moral person and, and do all the things that you, you think God would have you do without ever really knowing Jesus, or knowing God. Jesus himself confirmed this in his teaching. The Apostle Paul confirmed this in his own life. He said he was steeped in the scriptures. He was, he, he was uh, 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 in relationship to the keeping of, of God's law and obedience to his word. He was blameless. Paul would have said beyond a shadow of a doubt that he knew God. And yet, he would later say that all those things... He now counts his loss as rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. It wasn't that knowing and obeying God was not important and not significant. But if those things are not motivated and powered by a knowledge and experience of God's saving and sanctifying grace in Jesus, then they're filthy rags of self-righteousness that are worthless. So the obedience which John speaks of here and which is indicative of a knowing, abiding fellowship with God is not just about trying harder to change our behavior, but, but living authentically out of the change in our nature that comes from knowing God's love, knowing his forgiveness, knowing his acceptance in Christ. It is obedience that flows from such a relationship, not for such a relationship. John says in verse 5, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is perfected. That word perfected means to come to fruition. It meets its goal. It fulfills its intended purpose. And, and what, what he's saying there is God's love for us. And in turn, our love for God that flows out of that, they are carried out. They are manifested. They are fulfilled in his giving and our receiving and living in the light of his truth. And according to his way. If you think about it, there are really three motivations for us to obedience to what someone tells us. We can obey because we have to. A slave obeys his master because he doesn't, he knows it can cost him his life. We obey oftentimes the laws of our land because if we don't, we'll wind up in jail. That's, a, that's a, a, a forced obedience, an obedience out of sheer duty. We can obey because we need to. An employee may not be forced to obey his employer, but he does so out of, out of a necessity of, of earning a living, of feeding his family, of paying his bills, of, of exercising his, his gifts. And that's necessary obedience, obedience out of need. Or we can obey because we want to. When my wife asks me to pick up something from the store on my way home, she doesn't force me to do that. And she really doesn't even need me to do it because she could easily get in the car and go get it herself. 
but she wants me to do it. And I want to do it. Not because she makes me or because she needs me to, but because she loves me and I love her. And I want to do it out of a, a desire and a, a, a hope to help and to please her. It's a blessing. And the only kind of motivation for that kind of obedience is love. The true believer, the one who knows God, keeps his commands because he or she has experienced and knows the love of God in Christ Jesus. The goal of God's love is not to make us slaves who obey him because we have to or employees who obey him because we need to, but to make us his bride, his children who know his love and obey his word because we want to and we love to. But God does command our obedience to his word. And in truth, we have a great duty and we have a great need as his creatures to do so. So John always wants to, to guard against a sense that God's love somehow removes from us the obligation and the need to keep his commands. He said, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. If we say we know and love God and have fellowship with, with him, but we don't live as he calls us to live, John says we're, we're not telling the truth. We're, the truth isn't in us. Well, how is that? Because if we, if we truly say we believe God is light, meaning he is the source of all that is true, of all that is good, of all that is right, as we, as we looked at a couple of week, weeks ago, and that, that that light is given to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and, and who is the word of life, and who, who uh, came to, to love us by laying down his life. If we say we, we believe that, then to not keep his commands, to not do what he says, to not live in the way that he uh, has designed and called us to live, says that we, we don't really believe that to be true, those things to be true. We betray in our actions what we say with our words. We reveal the reality of what we believe. And that is, if we're not following his, his commands, that his commands are not good, that they are not given out of truth and wisdom that God does not love us. We reveal that our faith is not really rooted in truth. And that's why our assurance of faith, our knowing what that we know God is tied to our pressing on and persevering in righteousness. Again, it's not as we press on and persevere that we guarantee God will save us, but it's as we press on and persevere that we reveal that indeed God has saved us. And that's what Paul means when he says in Philippians, work out your fear, I mean, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Press on, pursue, living in light of that. And then he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works, God's work in us is evidenced in our working, living out our lives for his glory. Peter, in his letter, says, Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure by, by pursuing knowledge and, and steadfastness and godliness and love. In other words, confirm the reality of your relationship and belonging to the kingdom of God in the way you live your life. According to the will and the ways of the King Jesus. James, in his letter, that's often confused with, with, uh, with the doctrine of, of 
um, salvation by faith alone, James says our faith is demonstrated, it is proven, it is confirmed, it is justified by our works, by how we live our lives. To say you have faith, but to not have it lived out in works of righteousness is to reveal it to be a dead or empty faith. And so Jesus wants us to know him by faith and to know that we know him by seeing that faith lived out in trusting and obeying and following him. Later in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, This is the love of God that we keep his commands. John's just repeating the words of Jesus in, in, in John chapter 14, where Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey me. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Our, our obedience is powered by God's love for us in Christ and is motivated by our love for Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we always love to obey or that we always do it perfectly. We know that. We still struggle with that battle, that part of our nature that loves the world, that loves self more than God. We are still tempted at times and fail to live according to God's word. And John has already acknowledged that and he reminds us that part of obeying God's word is to acknowledge ourselves as sinners and to confess that sin and to receive his forgiveness and cleansing in Christ. But that's also why we can boldly pursue living according to God's word because we have this confidence that when we are faithless, he remains faithful and just to forgive us. To know we know God is to know we can come to him and humble ourselves before him and be welcomed and invited by him to receive forgiveness. But Jesus' sacrifice not only forgives our disobedience, it also frees us for obedience. John says his commands are not burdensome. For those who know God, they are a blessing. They are for our good. They are life and light to our souls. And so John says, to know Jesus is to abide in him. Again, he's echoing the words of Jesus himself to his disciples. Back in John 15, in that familiar passage where Jesus is equating what it means to know him and to know God and to be in fellowship with he and the Father, he, he pictures it as a vine and a branch. And there he says the, the, that as his, the, the word abide there speaks of a, a vital organic living connection. And Jesus speaks of our relationship as, as abiding in his word, abiding in his love. And, and as we abide in that, as we are connected, as we know that connection, he says the, that we will bear fruit. The fruit of, of living in light of his word, the fruit of the spirit and of righteousness. And so Jesus, so John continues to hold forth this idea, this truth. That our love and our union with Christ and with the Father is manifested in our abiding in and obeying his word, keeping his commandments. So John repeats himself using diff, a little bit different language in verse 6. He says, by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus is not just the 
propitiation for our sins, but he's the pattern for how we are to live in light of God's truth and grace. And to obey his commands is to live as he himself lived. And you cannot know how to walk in the way of Jesus unless you know the way in which Jesus walked. And we know that by coming to his word, <laughs> by coming and listening to him and, and seeing him in the gospel and, and following his way. And the pattern of Jesus' life is the pattern of love, which is where John will go next and we'll look at more in depth next week. We are to love as Jesus loved. Think about this. When you know someone loves you, I mean really loves you, loves you such that they will do almost anything for you, that they will lay down their life for you, love you such that even when you do things that hurt them, that dishonor them, that go against them, they forgive you. They will welcome you and accept you. They will continue to care for you. Loves you such that they promise they will, will never leave you or forsake you. They will provide all of your needs. Loves you such that they speak openly and honestly with you and invite you to do the same with them. When you know someone like that, then you not only can listen to what they say and trust what they do, but you want to, and you want to, to follow what they say because you know that they love you. They are for you. They are with you. And that's what it means to know God. That is how Jesus loves you. That's how you know his love and abide. Uh, that's how you know you know his love when you abide in him. And that love motivates and empowers your life to look like his. And friends, when God, who knows you, opens your eyes and minds and hearts to know him through the grace and truth which we have seen and heard and receive in the person and work of Jesus Christ, when you know that kind of sacrificial love for you, you do not just claim to know him, but you know you know him. And one of the ways you know you know him is there's a growing desire to fellowship with and to follow him. His word becomes living and active to you in a way that it never has before. And so let me close with this. If you go to the doctor and he runs a test and discovers that there's a problem, what do you do? You want to know what the treatment is, don't you? You want to know how to fix it. And there may be some of you here today who are, are not believers. Maybe your perception of Christianity is, it, is that it is just a bunch of rules and that God only calls us just to obey uh, in, in kind of a dutiful obedience and you're not interested in a, a religion where you have to jump through a lot of hoops well hear this real life real love it does not come through obedience but it comes through the obedience I should say it does come through obedience but it comes through the obedience of another on our behalf through what Christ has done for us and our obedience never transformed anything but our outward behavior but the gospel, the love of God who sent Jesus to die so that sinners could experience real life and real love, the knowledge and acceptance of that love by faith in Christ's work for you, that transforms in a way that frees us to receive that love and to live in light of it 
as we walk according to his commands. And there may be some of you here who profess to be Christians, but you're knowingly and willingly living in disobedience to God in your life. You might be harboring anger or hatred against someone. You might be doing something you clearly know is wrong and you're rationalizing or justifying it in some manner. Maybe you're just caught up in the, in the, the world and you're loving the world and the things of the world and convincing yourself that you can, you can just go on in that. If that's, a, if that's the case, there's a good reason to, to question that assurance. To ask yourself, do I really know God? Because, because if you're willingly living in disobedience or knowingly not loving others in the way God calls you to, then you may not really know him. But again, we go back to John 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God is slow to anger and abounding in love and you can come to him in repentance and faith and receive his grace. And even as we seek to walk in keeping his commands and in obedience to his word, there are times we grow weary. There are times when they may feel burdensome. You may strive hard to obey and love, but you find yourself resenting or struggling with, with guilt when you fail. Ask yourself, what is my motivation? And then consider again the good news of the gospel. Consider again the love of God in Christ. He loved you before you loved him. And he sent his only son not to make you a slave, not to make you his employee, but to make you his child. Go back to the gospel. Remember that he, he desires for you to be blessed. And there is joy and blessing in living and, and loving as he commands us to do. Let's pray together. Father, there's not one of us in here today who cannot think of a way in which we have not kept your commands, in which we have not walked in your love. We have all done it. We all at times continue to do it. And Lord, we thank you that your grace extends farther than we could ever imagine. But Father, as your children, you have also called us and you have equipped us and you have given us the power to love your word and to live according to it. And so I ask, Father, that you would strengthen that desire in each and every one of us. And Lord, if there are those here undoubtedly as there are, who feel the burden of those commands, who feel the weight of failure and sin, who maybe are experiencing in some ways the, the, um, uh, the struggles of sin against them and looking for where is hope. Father, I pray that you would reveal your love in a powerful way in Christ. And Lord Jesus, would you pour out your love upon us that we might know it and we might experience it in such a way that we return that love to you in faithful following 
in your footsteps and in your way. And Lord, as we do that, would you give us the joy that comes in walking with you? And may that joy overflow in and through us to others as you call them to yourself. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.